I start off by thanking God I woke up. I've taken it for granted that I'm just going to wake up every day. And I realize, you know what? You're not. So every morning when I wake up, that morning when I woke up, I remember just like every other morning and since then the same thing. I start off by thanking God I woke up and then being grateful. Okay, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is Chet Scott. Chet and his team at Built to Lead are leadership and development coaches for some of the most influential leaders across the city of Columbus and abroad. Chet's journey started when he left CompuServe after 20 years and started working with influential leaders. He woke up in 1993 and discovered his life's opus. He founded Built to Lead in 2002 and began his builder's journey His content, style, writing, and nonsense approach to leadership is real, raw, and direct. And in his own words, he is a friend to a few and a truth teller to many with a true love for the work he does. All right, here we are back for uh, another round. Um, We're here with Chet Scott, who is my coach. I don't know what to actually call you anymore because... You're so much more than that. You've been just a dear friend and mentor and coach and kind of all the labels in my life. But you know, we're here again, which is which is not something we do often. I think we've had one other repeat guest, but there's a lot that we covered in the first episode. So if you want to go back and hear Chet's full life journey, his hero's journey, builder's journey. Uh, go back and listen to that episode. We're going to pick up today and talk a little bit about more kind of recent learnings and events in your life that have been profoundly impactful and really highlight the work that you've been doing um, for decades now. Uh, But maybe before we do that, if you could just maybe start by kind of telling the audience a little bit about how you would describe your role, your work, built to lead. Give everybody just a little background on what you do. I always uh, have a hard time making that a short story, even though I tell all my clients to be clear, concise, and direct Mm -hmm. and tell short stories. Mm -hmm. I always struggle with doing that myself. Isn't that funny? Yeah. As briefly as I can describe it, what we do at Built to Lead is, as the name would imply, we build leaders. And we begin our work building leaders like you, one-on-one, slowly. And as you become built to lead, as you've become built to lead over the years, we then build into your team. It just makes sense that as you catch fire for learning how to be you and learning how to play to your strengths and your gifts and learning what is the real contribution you want to make through your work and your life, that then you want to give that gift to your team. And so we build into business owners, head coaches of sports teams, heads of a few charities, mostly business owners, and then we build into their teams. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. And, and just expand on that a little bit, because I think people who don't have exposure to the work or have worked with coaches, builders, what does that mean? You know, give maybe kind of a a few highlights or kind of, you know, main themes, melody lines for what that means to be built into? Well, the hardest job of any human is becoming who they are. 
we're the only animal on this planet that has that kind of an identity crisis. Every other animal just instinctively becomes who they are. You know, a, a lion pup becomes a, an adolescent lion and then an adult lion. And it never wishes that it were a tiger. At least from what we've studied on them, they're very satisfied. They just, they don't, uh, that lion does not wish it were a, a vegan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It knows it's a carnivore. Mm-hmm. And its instincts tell us that's how it survives. Humans, on the other hand, we have the ability to be any number of things. So we come in and we have to discover, like, what are our strengths? What are our gifts? And how do we best become the you we're designed to be? And we have an entire world trying to tell us who to be, who to become, and why that's who we got to be. It starts early with our family and then with peer pressure from, I just, just was in a practice with one of your teams and talking about... <laughs> dealing with a lot of their identity crisis started in middle school with people telling them who they ought to be and it wasn't who they felt they were and who they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So we have this tension as humans within us that then leads to tension with others because we haven't taken the time to figure out who we are so we can then accept people who are different from who we are Mm -hmm. and learn how to become a team with people that are very, everybody's unique. So we help people build their core, we call it, which is figuring out through reflection, time alone, writing, figuring out, you know, what are your deepest held beliefs and where do they come from? And what are your true identities? The names you call you, not the names people called you. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the names you call you? Like I call you an athlete. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what I call Brett. It matters, does Brett accept that he's an athlete? Because he is as well as many other things, you know? And so we help our clients name themselves in a very, in a very positive way because yeah. we tend to hold on to some of the names we've been called that weren't edifying. Mm-hmm. So identity is the second thing. And then principles, like what are the values that mean the most to you? And once you've worked on that, we call that your whip, your work in process. Those are the first three elements to your core. Then we work on what are your passions? What do you love? What gives you juice? And what are the core purposes, the big whys for why you think you're here and why you want to go there? Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we help you work on your own process for tightening all of that up. We call that the six-pack, the WIP, the 3P. So the first thing we do and the thing we never stop doing is building our own core and our client's core. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on mine. In fact, yeah. one of my deeply held beliefs is a work in process right now. It's mm. changing right now. Mm-hmm. I would not have imagined that even months ago, much less years ago, because all of us are meant to evolve. So of course, we're not done. And so that's the work we do. And then once people get clear about that, about, you know, this is who I am, then okay, well now let's make a life where our work counts. So now let's look at, because we're all working. You know, marriage is work. Being who you are is work. Being a good neighbor is work. Being an entrepreneur is work. Being um, a head coach is work. Being an athlete is work. Being a teammate is work. Mm -hmm. And so we want people to do work that they labor and love, which we call opus. That's the Latin word that literally means labor of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, this is subject matter that I really feel is like, 
my opus, mm-hmm. you know, deep down the um, subject of identity, finding yourself, what takes us away from that, yeah. you know, the, the trauma or the conditioning or the societal or, you know, like you were saying in that practice, it could be as little as like something somebody said to you, you know, I've read, it could be like a dog that barked at you when you were a child. I mean, it, right. It, you know, right. It, it's a fascinating subject. The process of how we got there and then how we find ourselves coming back to who we really are. It, mm-hmm. If, if we do, right. One of the things that I know is, is frequently said in built lead is that it's only for the few that there are a lot of people who really don't want to wake up. Right. That this work is hard. Yeah. To to make an entrepreneurial jump, to you know, kind of look at your relationships, to look at yourself, to make those changes is very difficult because that conditioning is really embodied deeply. Mm-hmm. And society and and our kind of environment will tell us over and over again why we shouldn't do it. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. I'm, and it's really interesting just to be in this conversation with you because as you just said, you know, you're, you're surprisingly revisiting your own. And, and what I'm sitting here thinking as you're laying out for the audience, how built to lead works, which, you know, I've known for the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years, whatever right. it's been, I'm sitting here thinking I need to do that again. Yeah. Right. Like right now, I know I'm also revisiting my identity again. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And, and so it is just very deep and very layered and, you know, a life's work, I think. Right. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of get depressed when I really think about the statement you made that it is only for the few. Yeah. Because I believe we're all meant to be great. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. I believe there's no mistakes. There's no mediocre humans. That mm-hmm. It's not true. And yet it is true that only a few really wake up in, in this lifetime and, and do that work. Because we are so conditioned to just follow the herd mindlessly. Yeah. You know, and it's just so easy. The movie, The Matrix, is mm-hmm. always will... It's, it's, it's aged well, mm-hmm. you know, for 20 plus years, you know, that it's just very easy to take the pill mm-hmm. and not think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is maybe a whole, yeah, we, we could talk, about, we this talk about this for, you know, <laughs> days really, you know, but uh, um, I don't know. I still have some hope that, you yeah. know, it just starts with the few. Right, right. I agreed. And massive change, I think, is possible. Yeah. And, um, you know, even kind of the pivot right. that I know you've made recently where you're focused on um, really building into builders, yeah. right? That's like a layer up so that more people can get the work. So, um, yeah, I'm l- with you. L- let's, let's back up or maybe kind of, you know, focus in a little bit on this, you know, more recent learning that you've had. And, and I, I'm just was reminded in knowing you, I'd like to maybe start with kind of your journey into health and wellness 
going back to your discovery of skinny fat. Um, because I think it's important to kind of explain uh, how diligent you have been with your health um, and kind of how you got on that path. And if I'm, if I'm right, I think it started, you know, right there. August 1st, 2010, sitting in North Star, Star Cafe with a client. I'm coaching him. I'm there to build him. And he starts practice off by reading a book to me. A very specific book that he read with me in mind that described what is, was my condition at the time. And he read describing he, uh, one paragraph and one page in a book that just described me as skinny fat. And so a client of mine is challenging me to look deeper into my health out of him wanting the best for me. Okay, so that's how the story starts. Mm -hmm. And I had already had a bunch of tests and he'd known this. I'd told him about tests that were giving me some bad data about some of my genes. I had, and I had worked on some of it, but I hadn't worked on all of it. I'd been kind of dabbling with my health at that point. At least that's what he thought. I thought I was doing some good stuff. And he challenged me to do more that he thought I was skinny fat. And so I went and had more tests done. And sure enough, that was correct. So from that day forward, I changed my relationship with sugar. Mm -hmm. I began to consume it in moderation at different levels. For me, it was hard for me to admit that, that I used sugar to medicate myself, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, but I was. And so I had my glucose numbers were way too high. My blood pressure was high. It was causing a lot of effects. I had visceral fat around my organs mm -hmm. that when they went in and did a body scan, they said, that's bad. I was pre-diabetic. All these things that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. So I just worked. They wanted to put me on all kinds of medicines to, to fix it. And I said, well, no, let me follow what this client just gave me in this book first. And if I can't get it back, my wife wanted me to get on it right away. She was worried. And mm -hmm. she, she said, I'll give you 90 days. And then we're going the way of what the docs recommend. I said, that's fine. 90 days, I go back to the doc and I just adjusted lifestyle. I adjusted input. I, I won't bore you with everything I adjusted, but lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. The numbers flipped. The, doc, the doctor, when he read the report and called me in, first thing he did was ask me, are you taking any of the meds? And I'm like, no. And he goes, are you taking, are you taking any other prescription medicines at all? Have you? I said, no. And I couldn't help but start to smile inside because I knew he was asking me that because something was dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, your numbers are outrageous. Like, like you've turned the needle more than we would have imagined with drugs. And I'm like, you're kidding. And he goes, no. And he showed me all the numbers and they were all in the normal zone from high or below normal, like even better. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that was like in a euphoric moment where I realized, my gosh, there's more we can do to control our chemistry than we know. Mm -hmm. And he said, you've got bad genes, but keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. This is working. Yeah. Okay, good. So you... You keep that up and then some, yeah. right? So that was like 
you know, not just like a, I passed the test. This is now a new way of living. I just adapted it. So yeah. This is it now. And you're a, um, you call me the athlete, but you're the one who has been, you know, um, just avidly working out. I mean, the, and, and the kind of workout that you do, you know, I've had the uh, experience of doing with you and yeah. your crew, you know, it's core work. It's, it's, you know, body weight. You're not, you know, at the gym throwing weights around. Not at all. You guys are doing, I think, all the right stuff from a longevity standpoint. And you're doing it religiously, mm-hmm. regularly. And you're also a cyclist and you yeah. have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you start with that kind of, you know, wake up. Um, it's funny, you know, how we learn when we're coaching. Yeah. Right. You oh know, man. You, you, you know, one, one teaches and two learn. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, you go on a, a journey of really leveling up in a significant way, your health and fitness, right. Um, which you maintain for a decade. Right. Right. And then you have this kind of recent event. Why don't you tell that story? Yeah. So that was August 1st, twenty. That moment of truth where I kind of woke up via a client. March 27th, 2021, I depart my house two days after my 62nd birthday to go do a 62-mile ride to celebrate my birthday with um, a bunch of my buddies. And we ride over. It's a cold morning. And I dress not very well. You know, because I know we're going to go hard at some point, and I'd rather be cold at the beginning of the ride because then you're not overcooked when you start to, to roll. So I'm a little bit chilly going up the first few hills. We pick up Grappy, um, who's the Ohio State uh, wrestling head coach. We pick him up about 12 miles into the ride because his house is right on our route. And literally within a half a mile of picking him up, we turn up Red Bank slightly. And I should be warm by now. And I tell Grappy, because we're at the back of the pack, I said, you know what? I am really cold. And it's the weirdest cold, Grappy. It feels from the inside. And he's like, that is weird. And so we slow down kind of naturally. And the, the road turns to the right about 50 yards ahead. And I'm telling him, you know, I just don't feel good. I'm cold and I don't feel good. And he looks at me kind of weird, I remember. And I'm like, yeah, I can't describe it. We turn the corner and I tell him, I'm getting off the bike. And as soon as I said that, it was as if somebody lit a stick of dynamite under him. And he said, I'm going back to the house to get the car. Stay put. And I'm like, crap, I'm fine. I just want to. He knew better. I literally didn't think I was having a heart attack. I was. I thought I was just getting cold and I hadn't dressed properly and I was pissed. Mm -hmm. So I begin to walk back. Um, While doing so, the guys that we were with had gone ahead and turned. You know, we were 100 yards behind them, but we stopped. They were going up a hill, so they did not even look. So Grappy calls them and says, Chet's in trouble. Turn around. And so I'm walking my bike back toward his home and not thinking anything except I'm pissed off. And, and this is a weird feeling. 
Let me just ask you a quick question because I'm I'm just curious about this. If you can remember in the moment, the thought that maybe you were having a heart attack or anything other than you just being cold and pissed, um, none of that went through your mind. You were just like, it was so, was, was it so foreign of a thought to you because you are such, um, in such good health or kind of in hindsight, like, do you, have you thought about that thinking at all? Yeah. 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 Yes, I have. And for the life of me, it wasn't what in my mind a heart attack was. Got it. Simple as that. Yeah. Like I'm like, what I'd heard is your arms will tingle. They'll yeah. go numb. You'll have a feeling of an elephant on your chest. Yeah. And I'm like. Didn't have any of those no, classic no. symptoms. So it didn't yet. even register. Gotcha. Like I didn't even think, oh, you could be having something really bad. It was, it was just like literally it didn't enter the brain. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I didn't feel what I thought was anything that big. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the guys that turned around was a doc. One of our friends, Brother Mick, I call him now. I used to just call him Mick. Now he's Brother Mick. <laughs> and as soon as he came, he took one look at me and said, sit down. And so I did. And so people that tell me I'm not coachable, <laughs> I, I use this. I sat down. I just yeah. sat down right away. I'll let you go with that. It's still very debatable how coachable you are, yeah, but I, I suppose if your life is threatened, you'll listen. Well, I just want to put that on air. So I sat down and as I sat down, Grappy pulled up in the Buick mm-hmm. and Mick was calling um, 911. And as fate would have it, he was in his brain calculating how long an ambulance would take to get there versus how long Grappy could drive us there. And he did it. He went against what his gut said, because you're never supposed to drive. You're supposed to get in the, mm-hmm. the emergency vehicle because they have equipment to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And he's calculating that. And he's like, but he goes, I can have him at the hospital before the ambulance will be here. Mm-hmm. So he says, check, get in the front seat. You guys take the bikes. I'll get in the back seat. We're headed to the hospital. And it happened to be the hospital where he works was the nearest hospital, St. Anne's. Coincidence? <clears throat> I don't know. Right. And so he tells Grappy to floor it. And I'm sitting there conscious. And I don't even feel him, but he is. He tells me later that he's taking my pulse from the back seat, and my pulse is going away. I'm still conscious. I'm just realizing now I'm having a harder time breathing. Mm. And so I'm just kind of focused on getting a breath. And... Uh, and I'm doing that, and he's calculating, he tells me later, how to perform CPR from the back seat because he's figuring I'm not going to make it to the hospital. Mm. <laughs> so make it to the hospital. Grappy turns in the wrong place. It's perfect. So I said, stop. I'll just walk down the stairs because he would have to pull all the way around. Mm-hmm. So I get out, and I walk down the stairs, and Mick is with me. And then he'd already called ahead, so they were ready for us. And, um, and we go in and he wheels me in. I walk in and he puts me in a wheelchair and wheels me in. And they're literally working on me in seconds. And they're asking me questions about, well, how's your, first of all, we're going to be working really fast. So don't get upset about that. It's just, we're going to be working very quickly. And let me start with your pain level. What is it? One to 10, 10 being it's really bad. I'm like, it's a five. Mm-hmm. And Mick is, is sitting next to the doctor and he says, don't believe him, it's a 10. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mick, it's a five. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm coherent. Mm-hmm. I'm communicating. They start to put nitroglycerin under my tongue, which I, I kind of heard of nitroglycerin. I thought, that's interesting. That's, I've heard of it. It's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And they said, how do you feel now after a few minutes? I'm like the same. So they said, here's another nitroglycerin. This went on until they gave me five. Now I'm really having a hard time breathing. And I'm beginning to realize, like, I don't know what this is. I still don't know it's a heart attack. But I know it's not good. And because I'm really having a hard time breathing. And I just remember zoning in on just get another breath. And I kept just my mind focused on that. I'd glance at Mick. I'd glance at the docs. And then I would just focus on getting a breath. And the next time, after the fifth one, she asked me again, how do you feel? And I said, I may be feeling worse. And she looked at the attending nurse and said, give him morphine. When she said that, like my mood immediately went to Private Ryan. Mm. I played the movie and other movies where they jab them with morphine to deaden them before they die. And I thought, that just, now I know this is not good. Mm-hmm. And Again, I don't know time very well, but it was not long after that that they gave me morphine that they asked again, okay, how do you feel? And I said the same. And she said, okay, give him more morphine. And that's when I prayed. Mm-hmm. And I remember the prayer. I'll probably remember the prayer for the rest of my life. And I said, hey, I said, God, I'm ready to come home, but I don't want to leave. And that was... All I got out when another doc came in and said, take him in. And so I knew they were taking me. And then I knew um, that it registered like as soon as I echoed the prayer, as soon as they said we're ready for him, we're taking him in. I knew that they were going to go do something to my heart. Like just clear as a bell. Okay, mm-hmm. okay here we go. And I felt them go into my wrist. They, they shaved my groin. They shaved my wrist. Now I knew they're, they're, they're going up with a wire. And I felt them, I felt them like, you can still see the difference on my arm, the color. Mm -hmm. This is where they went up. It's still a little bruise. Mm -hmm. Five months later. That's wild. Isn't that wild? You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt it. Mm -hmm. And they went up into my heart and I felt them go into my heart. And as soon as they popped the blood clot, which had formed with a small piece of plaque that broke off my right, the right coronary artery. Mm-hmm. A little piece of plaque had broken off and lodged at the base of it and formed a blood clot. Stopped the blood flow to half my heart mm. in seconds. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, so it's it's not, there's not um, clogged arteries. It's not like the typical, so you're going to your doctor, you're getting your checkups, you're right. doing your thing, you're taking care of yourself. But a fluky, I mean, it sounds like a fluky thing where plaque falls off and and lands in a place that blocks the blood flow. I mean, yeah. is that is that what the doctors say? Well, the, I mean, the doctor, you know, doctors, they're very funny, but he said, you're one in a million. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the minute they, they popped the blood clot, I felt it. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I'm still conscious, I remember telling them, oh my gosh, I feel great. Mm. And then I don't remember anything. Okay, so you were conscious up until that point. Right. Which is bizarre to yeah, me. Yeah, wild. It, wild. And I, I felt it. And I remember saying it. And then I remember waking up in the recovery room. Mm-hmm. So 
from there, they put the stent in, you know, they pop that and then they put the stent in. It doesn't take long. And then I'm in there recovering and it was, um, Brad, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like, it was surreal. Like Mm -hmm. as I started to, in the hospital bed, just reflect on like, it was still the morning. Mm -hmm. And I remember just saying, that's a hell of a morning. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm on uh, I'm on a few things now. A baby aspirin, probably for life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm on a blood thinner for a year or two because of the stent to make sure it doesn't clot. And I'm on a statin that I'll be on for we don't know how long, but mm-hmm. as long as they think it's doing the trick or helping, that's what we're going to do. And. Uh, my cardiologist who came via a friend of yours has told me when I, when we, and he's just a great dude. I call him Doc Steve. <laughs> and uh, he said, your heart, when I asked him like, you know, what's, gonna, what's the recovery going to be like of this? And he said, he goes, Chet here, let me make it really clear. He goes, your heart has no memory. Mm. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, I've seen your heart. And he goes, it's strong. And it's, it's clean. It's good. You can trust it. And it has no memory. You have no damage. Mm-hmm. It's as if nothing happened. And I'm like, you're kidding. Mm. And he's like, no. And I'm like, so what should I do? And he goes, do what you were doing. That's what kept you alive. Mm-hmm. And he said, the reason you didn't have cardiac arrest is because of all that cycling you were doing to be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. When we kept thinking you're going to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so um so he said continue but to me uh, I mean there's so much learning. Yeah. But the Yeah, do you have a question? Well, yeah, I do. I have a lot of questions. Um is there something you wanted to finish there? Well, my only the most frequent question I've gotten since this. Yeah. From caring people, family, friends, clients. Yeah. <sighs> Has been well. What are you going to do different? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what is going to change now after this? And my answer is nothing. And I've thought it through. You know, I mean, nothing. I mean, I'm taking those meds, right? So that's changed. But mm-hmm. besides that, modifying my lifestyle. No, the docs told me. I've talked to the docs. I've talked to my main doc. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Trust it. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for me to be is to get back to doing what I was doing and trust it. Like mm. it took me a long time to want to ride the bike, mm-hmm. to want to do anything hard. Yeah, you know, I was a little spooked. Mm-hmm. And he said, "That's just your head, mm-hmm. not your heart." Yeah. And as soon as he told me that, I got on the bike the next day and I rode like the wind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I should psych coaching I give to my clients: get out of your head. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. trust it." And oh I was just God, like, it's, like, so, true, it's yeah. so true. And I just, as soon as I did that. It's counterintuitive. But counterintuitive. It's just so true. Right. Yeah. And. Um, okay. Let me ask yeah. you, let, let me just hop in there for a second, because that's a pretty big statement by itself. You know, there's very few people that I believe can say, what are you going to change? And the answer be nothing. And that be a good thing. Right. 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 I mean, usually there's a lot of change that's necessary. Right. Um, 
And, and, and I want to talk about why that's true for you. Um, It it is a little uh, also interesting to me that, um, well, let's just focus there for a second. So what were you going to say? Well, I just, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating that, um, you know, you're, the, the the idea of kind of the the counterintuitive piece, mm-hmm. right? And we were talking about trauma and conditioning, and you know, this is what happens to people. Right. They have a life event, right? You know, sometimes it's at a younger age and it stays with you unconsciously, right? But but you know, the fear that somehow me getting on that bike and and grinding is somehow bad because right. that's. What you know, right. because I had the heart attack when I was on the bike, right? Right. right. Which is totally unrelated. Totally. And, and in fact, it's the thing that kept you alive. Right. Right. But you still have to move through that. And most people don't. Right. Most people will go, I'm never getting on a bike again. Right. You know? So, so that by true. itself is fascinating. Right. And what I would tell the listener is, you know, with with whatever trauma you're going through or you will go through. There's this old adage of the quicker you get back on the horse, the quicker you're going to be back riding. Mm. So like as soon as I did feel within literally days, the ride I took, I made sure I didn't just take a ride. I went and took a ride with my friends Mm -hmm. and we went to the spot of my heart attack. And we memorialized it. Mm. We took pictures there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like ride the exact ride. I wanted to go up those hills. I wanted to not just ride, but I decided, you know what? If I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to go ride that same ride. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to avoid that ride where I had that event. I'm going to go there, take a picture and realize I have so much to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful for. I memorialized that little area where Crappy turned, where Brother Mick, told me to sit down, and then we rode on. Mm-hmm. We just went right on. Mm-hmm. We stopped, we took a picture, and then we went on. Yeah, and-, and I love the thought. I want to come back to, you know, kind of the, the core work and, yeah. you know, how you get to the point of not needing to change anything. But, but um, I, I do think that there's something to, you know, the kind of memory mm-hmm. of- of you know what happened that is got some value as opposed to just like ignoring it and keep writing right, right? there's like a it might be a, like a second a, 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 it might be a breath it might be some sort of like acknowledgement that like it's not it doesn't stop you right right but there's some importance some value and maybe it's gratitude maybe it's just like I don't know, letting it be as it is and then get back on the bike, right? I mean, there's something, there's a little piece in there before it's just like, forget about it, keep riding. Oh, yes. No, I want to keep riding, but the slow down and reflect yeah. is, is, is the, I've been doing that as a discipline. When I mm-hmm. wake up in the morning, I've been doing this now for a couple of years. Um, since just before COVID, I started it. The very beginning of 2020 was one of my new 2020 disciplines. To when I wake up, I start off by thanking God I woke up. I'm mm-hmm. taking it for granted that I'm mm-hmm. just going to wake up every day. 
And I realized, you know what? You're not. <laughs> so every morning when I wake up, that morning when I woke up, I remember just like every other morning and since then the same thing. Mm-hmm. I started off by thanking God I woke up and then being grateful for what I knew. Every morning I wake up with a plan. I know, you know, just like you, I have a plan for the day. Mm-hmm. And so before my feet touch the carpet is kind of my ritual. I, I say thank you that I'm going to get to do this podcast and mm-hmm. practice with your team. Practice with another client after this. Be with Miss for a meal, you know, go for mm-hmm. a walk. I, I just practice gratitude of what I'm going to anticipate this day has. Mm-hmm. And then before my feet touch the carpet, I remind myself of my principles, the values that mean the most to me. And like, I'm going to go live those today. Mm-hmm. And since March 27th, that ritual just is richer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not the same. Yeah. So when I say nothing's changed, I could argue everything's changed. Mm-hmm. The, way, the way I approach something I was already doing, it, it's, it's now sacred. Yeah, it, there's <laughs> a, um, a new um, sincerity, depth. Yeah. You know, there's something that means more in those words of gratitude and prayer. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the prayer that that you remember from the hospital because it, it speaks to I think why the nothing changes, right? You, you, this first part of I'm ready to come home, right? What I hear when I hear that is I'm whole, I'm complete. I've I've done the work, you know. I've loved hard. I've lived hard, right? I've I'm I'm aligned. I'm doing everything that I believe I'm here to be doing, and so if this is it, I'm okay, yeah. right? And you know, I really want to do more. Right. right, I'm not done. Right. Um, so you know, maybe, maybe you can just speak to that the idea of nothing changes, and and really kind of tie into the core work you know, the, the hard work that was done to be able to achieve that feeling. Because I, I really yeah. think this is kind of the gold, you know, that, that if we can all get to the end of our lives and have that feeling, you know, that I've, I've really done it right or whatever you want to, whatever words you want to put to that, have that feeling. Right. That, that's, that's, you know, something that I think everybody would like to have. Yeah. The first part of core work is, is your worldview, your I believes. Mm-hmm. You've, you've written them. I've written them. Um, we've rewritten them over and over. And the idea behind authoring them is so that your behaviors in the everyday of life will align backward to a deeply rooted belief. Because if we're going to be consistent in the way we behave, we will be behaving because of something deeply inside of us that says this is the right way. You believe this, Chet. Um, versus if we just behave based on what somebody else has told us or what we think is a societal norm, there'll be all kinds of things to take us in our behavior and be inconsistent based on circumstance, based on the way we feel that day. You know, if you've rooted your belief system and deeply inside of you, it just allows you to be a little more consistent with how you behave. You're still not perfect. Mm -hmm. We're all a work in process. But 
that's the whole goal with it. So, um, so I've done a lot of work on that and I really believe there is a God and I believe that I'm a child of God and that I don't believe death is to be feared, that death is simply just going to be opening the next chapter. And none of us understands it. None of us have been there, but that's what I believe. And, and so on March 27th, when they said the second morphine and I thought, my guys, Chet, this could be it. Mm-hmm. And I could, I didn't say this the first go, but I could, I could feel the life slipping from me. Like I, I could just feel like I, I was on a, it was getting harder to breathe. And, and it was like a winding down kind of a feeling that I, that I remember feeling. And that's when I, that's when I said the prayer mm-hmm. and I meant it. And, and I remember breathing and it wasn't a scary prayer. It wasn't like a, an, oh God, for the first time. Mm-hmm. Which is like another conversation. And I was peaceful because I really believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what has hit me after the fact was that that was a peaceful moment, not a terrorizing moment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Because now I just feel a different sense of peace in my everyday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something really important, and this could be like a whole podcast by itself, but the um, idea that you didn't just write words down on a paper that sounded like something that you wanted to believe or that you thought would sound good to whoever was reading it, you know, that, that, that you you actually embodied those beliefs. So in that moment of truth, right? Right. And and I think that's, you know, you talk about moments of truth and 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 really when they're forced upon you, the truth comes out. Right. Right. You're either scared shitless. Right. You know, and I don't want to die. And and that's because there's something that, you know, is out of alignment that you didn't do that you want to do and you want to change and it's panic and right. 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 Um, which is probably what happens most of the time. Probably. Right. Um, but in your case, peace, peace, and and how we arrive at making the words match the actions, yeah, you know, and like you said, it's a work in progress, and none of us are perfect, and you know, right. we find our way off and back. But like, boy, at at like the moment of truth, peace. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Um, and, and also, you know, and maybe, you know, I know we're going to run out of time, you know, here, but I'm also really struck by, we've talked about this. You surrounded yourself by people who also mm. have done that work. And, and you, you know, you talked about Grappy, right. you know, go and get the car and, you know, Mick saying, sit down and, the quick calculations, right? Like these people are strong core to the point that it probably saved your life. No doubt. The doctors validated that. Yeah. They said, they said, you know, that you're one in a million that it happened. You could consider that, a, man, am I unlucky? And then Chet, he said it out of the same doc, same breath said, and you're one in a million that you survived. You know, he goes, because 
and they told me some stories that most people that have the symptoms that you had just go home. They get in Grappy's car and they drive home. Because mm-hmm. you don't have the arm tingle. You don't have the... Right. right. And, and in fact, it was funny. I had a really good friend. I don't know if I told you the story. Tell me a story about a dear friend of his who had the same thing at home with his wife. He had what I had, same kind of conditions. He tells me this story days after. Have I told you this? No. Yeah, crazy. And um, he tells his wife the same things. I'm just feeling cold and, and I feel weird inside. Cold, weird. Um, I'm kind of tired. I just don't feel good. I kind of said all the same things. Mm-hmm. He wasn't on his bike. I just said, I'm going to get off my bike. He told his wife, I'm just going to lay down. Mm. He never woke up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's actually, I think it's worth highlighting because I think a lot of men, yeah. um, you know, are conditioned to be tough right. and strong, strong right? right? And and don't want to go to the hospital. I personally right. have had this experience myself where I thought I was, you know, having a heart attack and right. went to the hospital but it, it took some coaxing you right, know, from my right. wife to, to do that. Um, and I was in like tremendous pain, but I still um, was going to stay home. Right, right. You know, right. And it is a fine line like to know like, well, you don't want to be some um, buddy who's like, you know, panicking all the time and thinks that they're dying all the time. Right. right? But right. like you, you got to be careful, right. really careful. Right. Um, Anyway, I just thought, oh, I like, you know, maybe highlight that for anybody oh my that's gosh. listening. Yes. It could save a life to, you know, not try to be too strong and tough and err on the side of maybe, you know, going and being cautious, you know, right. in case. No doubt. And, um, and that, you know, I mean, Brother Mick and Grappy, there were other friends on that ride, great friends. But I'm so glad I was with Grappy at the back of the pack. And I was telling him, because see, Grappy and I have worked together. I've worked with he and his team for seven years. I've worked out with him for seven years. Mm -hmm. He's watched me work out with his team. And so, and he's seen a consistent pattern. He and I are really good friends. We talk about all this. We talk about his team and we talk about work and life and we know each other. And, and he told me afterward, because, you know, I wouldn't have turned around like that for a number of my athletes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Grappy? You love your team. You, you turn around faster for them. And he goes, no, I wouldn't. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I've seen many of them quit mm-hmm. in practice. I, I've, I would have thought when they told me I'm not feeling good, I would have thought, well, I've heard that excuse before. Mm-hmm. I- I've seen this guy mail it in before. And I would have said, come on, buck up. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you said it, he goes, it registered in my brain. Chet and I've worked out for seven years. He's never once quit a workout. Mm-hmm. We've ridden our bike for seven years. He's never once gotten off his bike. Mm-hmm. We've gone up mountains. They're way harder than this. There's something dramatically wrong. And he said, in that instant, that was my moment of truth. Mm-hmm. He goes, I knew you didn't know how bad shape you were in. Yeah. And he goes, so I turned in a second and he actually set a, a record 
for that stretch of land. He went faster <laughs> than anybody on a bike had gone. He, <laughs> oh, I can only is, imagine. Yeah, I mean, and he's uh, not that fast. Yeah. So, but it was like, it was such a great thing. So like, you know, it's really good for you to have a few good friends. Yeah. Because like that was a good friend who knew me. Yeah. And, you know, if I'd just been riding with a casual group that I didn't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I yeah. love that. I, I do too. So I, I think there's so many wonderful learnings yeah. here, right? Um, so people many. that know you, people, people that, that know you, right? And love you and, um, you know, truly get you is, is not to be underestimated, could right. save your life. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of incredible learnings here. You've highlighted them, you know really briefly. I mean, this is a, you know, serious moment of truth that we're covering in a short amount of time. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, what kind of strikes me and then I'll turn it over to you to, for final thoughts, but it's just the, the way that our lives can serve us in a constant opportunity to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this incident has been something that um, you learn from, right? Right. Even if your net net is, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I don't need to change anything. The learnings are, are tremendous. Even, even learning the things that you already know so that you can lean further into them is a tremendous learning. Unbelievable. So, so, you know, final thoughts from you, you know, learnings or, or anything that you really want to make sure you get across here from this experience. Just that. You just nailed it. That when I've reflected on this and I've heard the question, well, um, you know, so are you going to do anything different for your health? No. Well, are you going to do anything different with your life now that you realize it can be taken away in a minute? Do you want to change? Like, are you going to change the way you work and live? And I'm, I'm not. Like, I mean, I'm here working with you. I'm mm-hmm. not going to not do that work. I'm more like doubling down on like, this is why I'm here. Yeah. And I just have more clarity about like, um, God, you made me a builder. You obviously aren't done with my work. So I'm going to keep doing it mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it with an even more grateful, more thankful, more committed heart. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference. And oh, yeah. I feel that. Mm-hmm. I feel every, you know, I, had a, I, get, I have sacred moments with clients and it's easy to just see them as just moments. Mm-hmm. And they're all sacred more so today. Mm-hmm. And when they tell me something about a pain a trauma about a change they want to make, like because of what I've gone through, like I can feel it, I can feel it with them at a at a different level. Mm-hmm. It softened me, even though my heart was under attack. It's, I believe, it's just softened my heart, um, so that when others have heart attacks, not like literal, mm-hmm. but they share a story with me that clearly has them questioning themselves mm-hmm. and where their heart is and. I think I'm able to do much better work now because of what I can just sit with them and feel what they're feeling in a much deeper way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good learning. 
And, oh, that's great. That's uh, great. I've always been tough enough. I've and I've always known I need to be more tender. And I think this has helped me realize how to just be, how to be with. I say it all the time, but mm-hmm. and just to be with, and that's the tender and. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can say nothing has changed, but I could also, again, flip it to say everything's changed. Mm -hmm. And I could say that I was at peace, and I was, and I am. And it's not because I I see that I had, I was perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I I refer to all of us as a perfect mess. Mm -hmm. And make your peace with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just realize that, you know, life is just about, um, learning. Yeah, you know, we mostly learn through messes, mm-hmm. and and so I I am not upset about that day. Like that was a messy day, mm-hmm. and it was a messy few weeks. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and it was perfect. Mm. Yeah, Chet. You know, it's a it's a great. Um, I, I've in my worldview have. Um, the language that life is perfect for what it is and for what it's not. And uh, I think we're saying the same thing, you know, about the mess word. And um, I'm just sitting here thinking about, um, you know, that day that I found out. And um, I'm remembering now that I had a similar prayer, which is also funny because when mm. we met, <laughs> I was an atheist, right. not praying to anything or anybody, right? right? Um, and not knowing what I believed truly, right. right? Which is kind of why I landed on, well, there must not be a God because I don't know what to believe. How could any of this make right. sense? I hadn't really thought about it, right? right? And, um, and my prayer was kind of similar, actually, which was like, um, I, I felt like there wasn't anything that I hadn't told you. Um, that I had fully expressed my gratitude right. and love and appreciation for your role in my life. And I wasn't done, right. <laughs> you know, right. I wanted to keep doing this. And, right. um, you know, it, it is funny, you know, to think back and I'm just telling you this and and anyone who's listening, you know, we talked a little bit about like the daunting um, factor of this being for the few, Right. right? That, that somehow that can be depressing to think about. Right. Um, but I was actually uh, talking to a client of yours, an athlete, a true athlete, who was at my house recently <laughs> doing his thing. And I had a moment where I looked around and, and saw this home and life that I have created for myself, which included the ability to be home and with this person at that time and right. with my family and um, in this, you know, beautiful setting that combined all these things that I love. Right. right? And, and I thought back and I explained to him that everything he saw in me and where we stood had been created in a very short amount of time, relatively speaking, and out of the work of built to lead. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I am living proof and it's not about like any of that, but this feeling right. that, you know, you can have peace 
mm-hmm. and joy and love your work and your life that is possible. And I agree with you. It is what we are all, um, what is available to all of us and probably what we are all here to do. Right. And so I guess I'm just telling you again how grateful I am um, to have the opportunity to have um, learned from you, work with you, and continue to feel that way, you know, as we go on to the next chapter, you know, right. and chapters and whatever that is. It's just um, great, as you said, to be with. Yeah, so true. And to know that as we're with, we're climbing and we just interchange poles. You know, like uh, the secondary logo of our company is two silhouettes on a climb. One has his hand down pulling another and it doesn't connotate who is the leader. Mm -hmm. You can't tell the difference. They're silhouettes so that I want the the person that looks at built to lead and just sees together we transform. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Yeah. And I don't know who is the builder and the buildee the leader and the follower. Mm-hmm. We're just with. Mm-hmm. And kind of like on a really good cycling ride, we just exchange poles. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what you and I are doing. Yeah. And it's really fun to be on this climb with you. Yeah. So thank you. Yep. Well, feelings mutual. Chet, thanks again for taking the time to share yeah. yourself and your story. And um, for those that are listening, uh, you can find Chet builttolead.com and uh, he's uh, he's building a band which has been part of his opus and his more recent yeah. opus where there's now builders um, that are being built into and building into others you know really um, with scale now which is phenomenal in, in the work that needs to be done so if you're interested in learning more about this work um We'll make sure to put it in the notes where you can find Chet. But Chet, as always, it's a joy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.